Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We made this. Welcome to the Third Age of Podcasting. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast is A Dream Given Form. A show about J. Michael Krasinski's Babylon 5 for the We Made This Podcast Network. I'm your host, Baz Greenland, and joining me in this latest episode is Luke Ridge. How are you, Luke? I'm very well. I don't know why you two sadomasochists have decided to do it at 9am on a Sunday morning, but apart from that, I'm good. <laughs> well, yeah, um, we, we do have another guest. Um, joining us to discuss Season 1, Episode Grell is the great maker of We <laughs> Made This himself, Tony Black. Tony, how are you? Gentlemen, it is beyond my words of capacity to express how how glad I am to be on your podcast. Now, that, that was an attempt at David Warner. It sounds more like <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. And every single time I do an impression of someone who might be vaguely British on a podcast, it ends up like Margaret Thatcher. And I don't know why. <laughs> but it's a pleasure to be here. Anyway. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, today we have Margaret Thatcher on the podcast, Back from the Dead, to talk great talk, talk, Yeah. So um, before we uh, get into the episode, we like to ask every brand new guest, and this is Tony Black, not Margaret Thatcher, a guest of uh, a series of questions on their Babylon 5 fandom. So, in order to secure your application to the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, you must face the five questions of the Inquisitor. Who are you? What do you want? So yeah, absolutely amazing, phenomenal, Vaughan and Shadow impressions aside, are you ready for question one? Yes, although I have to admit, I would be much more excited if this was actually Margaret Thatcher answering these five questions, because (laughs) can you imagine if she was actually a secret fan of Babylon 5? I I want this to become a bit of an urban myth now that we start on this podcast. (laughs) Okay, well, what we're going to do, we're going to make it really difficult. What you want want to answer... Both as Tony Black and Margaret Thatcher. Can you do that? Yeah, Margaret Thatcher's answers would all basically be she loves all the fascist episodes, basically. <laughs> right. So I'm just all I'm right. just gonna do so, it like that. Okay, so start with you, Tony, first then. How did you discover Babylon 5? So, I mean, this might be a familiar story for you guys as fellow Brits, but for me, it was good old Channel 4 on a Sunday. Uh, because they used to show these at like, I think it was something like 11am or something like that. I mean, you guys probably know the exact times better than It varied, yeah. It did vary. Maybe it was the afternoons at times. And uh, always on a Sunday. And they would put these on during a... Maybe it's, I feel like a, it was a bit of a sci-fi space, but I don't know for sure. Anyway, I remember watching them and it, it, I loved it. You know, I loved it. And, and then it led, I think, to buying videos i mean did right my my memory is hazy on this and it gets jumbled up with lots of the franchises like star trek and the x-files etc but did they have vhs releases for babylon yes they did, they yeah. did didn't they? i had every single one on vhs um star yeah you could buy them individually like the star trek or you, or you were, if you're a crazy fan like me you would spend a hundred quid per season on a vhs box that have all their wow. videos wow I never, yeah. I never did that, but I do remember buying <laughs> buying the videotapes. I can't quite remember what season. I, th- I think I have mem- memories of season three, 
actually been on videotape. So I feel like I remember episodes like Point of No Return being video. Anyway, um, there were uh, that 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 was that was it really. And then I discovered them through that space when I was. So when this came out, I would have been about eleven. So it was when I was between eleven and fourteen. And then I, I I just remember then, like you guys probably did. I was buying all the magazines of the time: Dreamwatch, TV Zone, etc. And and loving anything to do with Babylon Five, you know, it was that that was that mythology and the X Files mythology were like absolute catnip for me in those magazines. So, um, so yeah, I I loved it in the nineties, definitely. Excellent. And what did Maggie Thatcher think of it? Fascist trash. Um, or... <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I'm, I can't do it. I can't answer like her for four, five more questions. So, you all know, right. Um, she she, she, she would have hated then. it because it was fun. Let's just say that for everyone. Yeah, okay. Luke, carry on, and we'll, we'll, we're going to cut Margaret Thatcher out of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, Tony, what is your favourite episode of Babylon 5? Well, I'd say it's fairly on brand for this line of questioning because mine is Comes the Inquisitor mm. from season two, uh, which, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of... I'll, I'll be very curious to hear what your consensus episode is on this, whether you've had a consensus episode yet or from guests or it's varying or I'm the first person to say this one, I don't know. But this is just a really great example of how Babylon 5 mixed together not just an ongoing sense of developing mystery and mythology, but also would pilfer from Earth's past, from actual history, from law, you know, from just a very, you know, you could tell that Straczynski had a real plug-in for 19th century literature, particularly, and British literature, and, and, you know, a lot of this kind of thing. And this is a great example of that, in that it just is a, a terrific strange hour of television that manages to get an incredible sense of drama out of a, a an inquisition i just i just love it i think it's so good and the guy who plays um jack i, f- I forget his name is it wayne alexander yeah jack yes um he's excellent he's, he's really wonderful excellent. so yeah love this one yeah I mean, and it's, it's, it was a hard choice because there's so many great episodes of b5 and i could have gone for i could easily have gone for war without end you know or Babylon Squared, or, you know, Zahadoom, loads of them. But no, this one, love it. Oh, excellent. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, when exactly, he went on to play like Lorien and the Drak in season five. He had quite a few mm. roles in Babylon 5 as well, which was great. He's brilliant, yeah. So, what is your favourite season? I thought about this one. It's definitely not season five. <laughs> which, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, I was torn between, actually season four and season two strangely enough because i do like a lot of season two and there's some really interesting episodes mm. i went for four season four because it is i mean obviously we i know he had to pack basically two seasons of storyline into one season and and certain things might have been extended and are truncated etc but it's such a ride that season mm. it's such a ride mm. and i and that's the only season where i remember I remember being watching on Channel Four the, the Zaha Doom climax, and then there being all the speculation about what happened in season four and all of the build-up, and that really sticks in my mind because it was incredibly fun discovering some of those answers, you know, as 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 we went into season four. Um, so, yeah, absolutely brilliant. At, uh, Twenty-two episodes of television. Did he write all of them as well? Was that the yeah. season he wrote all of them? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Three, three, and four. Actually, he wrote oh, season man. three um, because he, he, got, he got a late. They got a late pickup, so he didn't have time to get any guest writers in. So he thought, I'll just start, kept writing, <laughs> and they went. He was so good. Can you do it again for season four? Yeah, and and that's why that's why his hair went white and stuff. And got really, <laughs> it was a result, but um, yeah. And then and then he's yeah. Neil Gaiman wrote one episode of season five, yeah. and that's it. Then he wrote so pretty much three, Amazing. four, and five are all. Nobody's yeah. equaled that, right? Since I don't think, or ever, I don't think. Well, he was he was the he was the first person to do it. Yeah, certainly. I can't think anyone else has actually ever done that yeah. since. That's incredible. But yeah, you can tell though with the consistency of something like season four mm. of how well plotted it is and how how well structured and exciting and you know it, it's excellent, excellent. I can't wait to rewatch that actually because it's been some years. Great season. Yeah, it's my favorite. 
season as well, I think. I just, I mean, the Earth Civil War stuff is just absolute catnip for me. It's, it's probably mm. one of my favourite storylines in, in Babylon 5. So then, Tony, yeah. who is your favourite character from Babylon 5? Again, this one, I cycled through everybody and I rested on Garibaldi. Hmm. Because oh, I, <laughs> you might—I don't know if you've had Garibaldi yet. We haven't, but I, I don't think we have. No. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can understand why maybe some people might find Garibaldi a little bit annoying. You know, I, I remember someone quite—I I don't know if you know, actually this might have been me, but I'm pretty sure it was somebody else who described him once as a uh, Poundland, uh, Poundland Bruce Willis, <laughs> which I think it's a, a bit unfair. But I, I think Jerry Doyle was great as Garibaldi, and he was such a a relatable sort of grounded character mm. who it, you know, it's basically like they've just taken a bloke out of maybe the 1970s, 1980s and put him in space, basically Garibaldi. He has that very, you know, meat and potatoes kind of way about him, but he was also funny. He was also genuinely a good guy, you know, even though he had shades of shades of gray at points and he was, you know, he, he wasn't, he, he, he was sometimes a little bit, a little bit crafty or a little bit, I don't know how to do because he wasn't a bad guy or anything. You know what I mean? He was. He was mm. sometimes he would bend the rules a little bit. It was one of those classic kind yeah. of characters. But I, I always enjoyed it when he was in it. I always enjoyed him on screen. And there are loads of characters you could pick for this. And 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 a different day I might get a different answer. But I think Garibaldi consistently was. He was a little bit of the heart of the show, in a way. I think Garibaldi, and he was just a solid rock, who was there. So yeah, he's my choice. Yeah, great choice. I mean, uh, I, th- I think it's the first time we got some bluff with Gary Baldi. I think we're, I think we're going for all the main c- cast now as we go, as we ask more guests, which is great. But um, yeah, he was the only one that was there from the gathering through to the finale as yeah. well. So it's a uh, yeah, he's, he's there. For and the ever receding hairline, season by season, is always a joy <laughs> yeah. to watch as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd call him like a Tesco finest. Uh, <laughs> he's really, really good. <laughs> yeah, he's that's better than Poundland, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. not yeah, quite retros, but Tesco finest. No. No, yeah, Tesco Fires no, has it. Yeah. Okay, and then finally, what f- final question then before we get into the episode? What is your favourite moment across all of Babylon Five? Again, in theory, a really difficult answer, but actually, one leapt out at me very quickly, and I go. It goes back to an episode I briefly mentioned a minute ago. The very ending of Zahadoom, where Sheridan jumps off, mm. I think is seared into my brain that moment. And I remember it being an incredible episode of TV anyway. Brilliant finale. But then when he when he jumped... And, and, and if I remember rightly, there's a, isn't someone saying jump in his head like he gets a voice? Yeah, isn't Kosh. Like yeah, that? it's Kosh, yeah. Kosh, isn't it? Yeah, it's Kosh, jump. You know, that kind of thing. And, and I just remember it being brilliant. And I, I thought... I, I remember going, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like, that kind of thing. I thought, yeah, it's it was so good. And a brilliant climax to a season and a great episode. And it just, it, I can see it now, like playing in my head, like on a loop. So it, there are so many brilliant moments in B5, but that one, absolutely, like, fantastic. Loved it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, it's probably the best cliffhanger they had to a season as well. Mm. It's a great, great TV cliffhanger too. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. So we're going to get into Grail then. So many viewers may be wondering why we're not discussing TKO next. As you'll remember, Luke and I are following the JMS Viewing Order or the uh, Lurker's Guide Master List, which was compiled on the Lurker's Guide uh, as a more definitive approach to B5 based on JMS's own notes and discussions. So this week it's Grail, in a fortnight it's Eyes, and then we've got Voice in the World in its two-parter, and TKO will follow a couple of episodes before the end of the season. So that's the Viewing Order we are following as well. And I'll put that on Twitter as we release the episode so people don't get confused if you're following along with us as well. But yeah, back to Grell. So in release order, this was the 15th episode of season one. It aired in July 94 in the US. It was written by Christy Marks, her only script for the show, and was directed by Richard Compton. So in this episode, a holy man, Aldous Gager, comes to the station looking for the Holy Grail, while Ambassador Kosh is apparently killing innocent people for crime boss juice. So I think that probably kind of tells you the kind of episode this is. Tony, so I know... Obviously, as a big B5, when we, we talked about doing the podcast, you kind of quickly said, these are the episodes I want to discuss. And Grell was the first one. So why did you choose Grell? And what what would you give it out of 10? I really like Grail. And I appreciate, I don't think anyone would probably suggest really that this is a great episode of Babylon 5. I would, I get that. But I, I this is one I really remember when I was a child. And... Of all of the season one episodes, I think it's stuck in my mind. I think partly because of David Warner, because I, I was mm-hmm. a huge fan of him, like a lot of us. 
sadly passed away last year. Great actor. Would pop up in so many of these kind of genre things around this time. But he's ex- he's really good in this. Uh, as you say, Aldous Guyitch, who's just a, a lovely man, basically, on a, on a journey. And I, I think I liked the combination of storylines in this. You know, it wasn't particularly mythology. mythology. It wasn't particularly arc-based. It's, it's a relatively a standalone piece. It it can be watched, you know, at any point. It's got a little bit of comedy. It's It's got a little bit of action in there. It's got a little bit of, uh, you know, myth building and sadness. I th- it's just a really nice, nice episode of Babylon 5, I think. And I would give it a solid 7 out of 10 because while I'm aware that it's not great drama and, you know, it, there are far better episodes before and after this, I think it has quite a lot going for it on an individual level, really. And... um I I just I just really enjoy it. For whenever I when I watched it again for this, I was like, yeah, I just it brings back a lot of maybe a slightly nostalgic memories, but also I do think it's genuinely quite well done, actually. So yeah, yeah, I, I, that's why I went for it first off. Although I, I will I will caveat th- this with I have picked some really good episodes beyond this. <laughs> to talk about. You have. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get a reputation of the guy who comes on and talks about episodes that are a bit dodge. Um, but yeah. Uh, I do love this one. Yeah, brilliant. And Luke, what are your general thoughts and ratings for Grail? This is a... <laughs> Be honest. This, this is a hard one for me. I love David Warner. I, I really love David Warner. And he is great in this episode. Uh, the the primary cast are great in this episode. Garibaldi gets some great little uh, comedy moments in this episode as well. But the one problem I have with this episode is Tom Brooker as Jinxo, who is categorically the worst actor Babylon <laughs> 5 has ever had. He's so bad that I cringed in every scene he was in. He's just he's just awful. He's so bad. And it just kept taking me out of the episode because I just kept cringing and going, this guy's awful. How did he, how did he even get past the casting couch? Right, that's what I want to know. Mm. Um, but that aside, because I don't want to bore everyone with me, we, tearing poor tom brooker to pieces but aside from that it's it's a really good fun episode it's uh it's amazing that it doesn't actually collapse under its ridiculousness because it is slightly ridiculous in its concept mm. you know this guy comes seeking the holy grail and he thinks it might have left earth so he's asking all the ambassadors it shouldn't work but it does and it's because of the other cast members around it I get a feeling that JMS had a bit of a heavy hand in the script as well. If you read some of the notes in the Lurker's Guide, I think he, he kind of put bits in and there around it. And there's, there's certain scenes which definitely have the uh, JMS whiff about it. Mm. The grey alien gag at the beginning, for instance, is very JMS. Um, but yeah, it's a good fun episode. It's just it's just Jinxo is just a flipping awful character and a really bad actor. So I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah, it's got a 6.6 on IMDb and it kind of almost feels like that's mm. the right rating for this one because, yeah, David Warner is brilliant, you know, and yeah, you see all the stuff he was doing, he, he was obviously, there are four lights, the hub, the brilliant stuff from uh, Next Gen as well and uh, around the same time and there's lots of really, really good stuff. But the trouble is, David Warner is so good and Brooker is so bad <laughs> that the the contrast is startling in this episode. There are some good stuff, and also we're going to get into the details. So yeah, I, w- I would say it's that. I mean, again, I kind of felt the writing wasn't great. And looking at Christy Marks, I mean, if you look at kind of what her uh, repertoire as a writer was, not, I mean, there, there was some, there was some, it's not, it's not terrible. A lot of it done on the performance as well, but a lot of it is kind of animated as well. And, uh, you know, she, she's, um, she was, I mean, she was doing things like Reboot, which is great, but she was doing things like, um, Conan the Adventurer and Bucky O'Hare the Toad Wars and G.I. Joe and uh, Dino Riders, Turtles, wow. Gem, Captain Power. You know, this is the kind of stuff that she was writing. So, and, and, it, and it's a bit of a hokey episode. And it kind of was, you can almost, it feels like, I mean, JMS wrote Jason the Real Warriors and um, and obviously Real Ghostbusters and stuff. You know, he wrote and He-Man and She-Ra. And he wrote big and he was, he was quite, he was quite a, um, a leading presence in a lot of the kind of big 80s cartons of my childhood. So it's just because uh, she was a animation writer for, for, kids, for kids' cartoons, it's not enough to put it down, but it does kind of feel as that kind of style almost in this. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit up and down, Grail, that one. But uh, 
Yeah, so that, let's, let's get into it. So there were essentially two plots running through the episode. The A plot with David Warner's Al Dust and the Search for the Holy Grail, and the B plot with Kosh and Juice. But they kind of, they, they kind of largely intersect each other as well. They're not ones that are completely separate, as you get on, on, on some shows. So we've kind of talked about it. Let's go into more detail. Let's start with David Warner and his performance as Aldous. What do you think generally of his character and the performance in the episode, Tony? I love him. I think, as I said, I think he's great. I think I, lo- I really like the idea behind Gaich in turn, who incidentally was uh, named, but he was named both, but after Aldous Huxley, the science fiction writer, and uh, Mira Furland's husband, whose surname was Gaich or, or first name was Gaich, one of the yeah. two. So a nice little combination there of, of names, but he's. A really nice idea, I think, and fits very well in this in the world of Babylon Five in a way that it would it wouldn't have been quite as seamless, and it would have actually been even cheesier in something like Star Trek, which was more in many ways more scientific mm. based. Whereas Babylon Five is all about myths and legends and quests and underpinning this 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 world. And so I think the idea of of a lone man, a true seeker, I think, as Delane calls him going off and looking for the Holy Grail. It mm. sounds ridiculous, and it is ridiculous in many ways, but the idea of a nice man travelling the universe, trying to find something that has meaning, is great. And, it, and and Warner plays him with such a calm demeanour and such warmth and nobility that he's, he's, like, he's, he's like a classic sort of Grail Knight. You know, he is that kind of almost chivalric example of a traveling not a warrior but a traveling i don't know what the right word is for this like a warrior monk i suppose yeah because i suppose there is the point where he does beat up you know um juice's guys so he does have that in him actually so i suppose he can do both but that kind of thing yeah where he's where he's traveling around and he's he has brings that nobility with him and i I think warner's excellent at doing that and and being able to i mean that scene Mm. where he talks about how he lost his family it's just heartbreaking Mm. but he plays it with such a a quiet sense of acceptance you know and, and because he's at a point now guy where he's he's found his way past that and you know there is an argument that the character is built on trauma and and it, i suppose the message in a way is that yes okay you can become this this noble traveling warrior guy at peace but you have to go through a horrible bunch of things first you know like jigsaw has to basically you know conv- convince himself he's the curse of babylon the babylon project but either way i think i think the the concept is is well done and it's actually and like you said maybe this is where Straczynski's writing comes in a little bit more to sort of smooth some of this over but I, th- I think a lot of it though is carried by Warner's performance I think if you didn't have an actor like him in this role it would be it would be a hard sell yeah yeah he's he's wonderful and just to kind of bounce off what Tony just said the thing that Babylon 5 is very good at is is merging fantasy with science fiction and you know, you've got very fantasy uh, type tropes and emblems like, you know, the Rangers, for instance, is a, is, is a very, you know, it's, it's taken from one of the greatest fantasy novels of all time. And there's prophecy and there's myth and there's legend, which doesn't usually like meld with science fiction. I think the only other thing I can think of is Dune, which is very science fantasy because that has really like mythic elements to it and, and fantasy and stuff. So I mean, that's why it works better in Babylon 5 than it would, say, Star Trek because of those kind of mythic fantasy elements and i think aldous's character is quite akin to the rangers kind of ethos as well which in turn is a kind of extension of the minbari ethos which is why you know delenn's very attracted to to um this quest this seeker of truth so yeah and that scene you were talking about tony where you know he's talking about his family and the numbers don't add up anymore speech is uh, is, mm. is is the scene of the entire episode really and it's it's beautifully yeah. performed by him and and not only has his loss and grief made him like rethink his life and and rethink what his purpose in life is i think it's also about the monotony of rigidity in life and and the nine to five mm. in, in the office and he just wanted something more and he, he craved something more and and this this person who came to him and gave him the staff and, and, and gave his life purpose and it's a it's a nice little message to have as well and you're right if it didn't have david warner in this role this episode would have collapsed I think it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah, I mean that that scene is probably my favourite scene from the episode. Great delivery from Warner as well, and and yet essentially it's an exposition dump. 
backstory for the character mm. who is never going to be seen again as well so it's kind of like it, it's almost like not necessary in one sense but I, I, it, it's also essential to understand the character and I, I think yeah it's beautifully delivered by Warner and yeah I, again we've talked about it before Luke haven't we how you know episodes like Parliament Dreams for example you know there's been lots of episodes where they've really dealt with spirituality mm. of, of characters in the show as well you know human characters and alien characters and I, I love how um, that's kind of part and parcel it's not that sterile religion is gone world of Star Trek. It's it's very you know again very believable stuff. So the other thing I I, I found really interesting it was how the as you said how the Mimbari treat Aldos. You know he's a holy seeker. I think it's very amusing pre-tart sequence when uh, Delenn and Lear interrupt Guy Ball and Sinclair's meal and demand they get into dress uniform. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of that scene, Luke, and the uh, subsequent scenes with them in the episode? Yeah, it's great, and I love how Garibaldi like eats like a starved man. <laughs> and and that uh, and that kind of comment that you know when Sinclair kind of looks at him and and, and Garbo's like, don't you look at me like that? I know I've seen you eat. Have you heard the, the, of the Doppler effect? So yeah, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> I do love it. And the only time I thought we see Garibaldi eating like that is um, I think after he's come back from a space mission and he goes, seeing dead people makes me starving or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, it's a great scene and obviously. The Mimbari hold these kind of people in, in high regard and she's quite put out, the, the, you know, the fact that Sinclair is not aware of, of the arrival of, of, of Aldous and um, hasn't been told about any kind of official visit by any officials or anything like that. So, yeah, it's a good scene to kind of start with and then you get the kind of jinxo bit as well added on to the end. Well, I think it also displays how and look, the episode sort of touches on this i guess in how sinclair reacts to delenn's surprise mm. about how when they go and meet him i mean garibaldi's rolling his eyes a little bit of saying oh god you know and, and sinclair's putting a good face on but deep down he's like i don't need to be here like if this is this guy's a nobody basically this is there is that undercurrent and she can't get her head around that but it, and i think it gets to the point that actually the the human characters in this show for the most part, have kind of lost touch with this mythical element in some ways, you know, and that, and then with Babylon 5 is one of those places where it all comes together. And in this, there's that great moment, isn't there? There's a little hint of what's to come, isn't there? And I don't know how much you indulge spoilers in per oh, chat. We, we do, yeah. We, we've the whole show and how it ties the episode. Good, because there is a little hint, isn't it, where she says something like to Sinclair, well, perhaps you don't yeah. know yourself as well mm. as you think. Uh, which obviously is a reference to Valen, isn't it? And all this stuff. And then he looks at her to say, what does that mean? <laughs> a little bit. Um, but yeah, so there's that little thing underneath, but it is it, the, the, that you can read into that if you know the whole show, but on, on a basic level, if you're watching the episode, the, the core idea is that actually maybe we should be paying more attention to these kind of truth seekers, these, these what who would be considered eccentrics, mm. you know, wandering around the earth because they might actually hold a little bit more, truth to them and a little bit they might be more in touch with their with their humanity and their soul than uh, and, and obviously as jms is want to point out with with the particular earth force arc and how you know president clark slips into fascism and that kind of thing the humans haven't worked it all out in this show at all yeah. you know and there's a lot of darkness there and a lot of things to come so he seems to be you know, with a lot of characters, and I guess you see these characters in a way like the techno mages later on and stuff but you see a lot of these wanderers come through who are in touch with the universe mm. almost, you know, and have that have that as that holy aspect to them in a way, without being specifically religious. Because that's the other thing. Gaich isn't he's not Christian necessarily. He's not proselytizing the you know the faith. He's not that kind of character, even though he's looking for the Grail. But he's looking for a much more a much less tethered Grail. He's not. It's not that he's necessarily looking for the cop of Christ. It's not like he's going to get to the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There's a little cop yeah. <laughs> surrounded by lots of other cops. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for something else. So I like the fact it is it, able to go down that road without being too overtly mm. religious, Christian religious as mm. such, and make the point that actually maybe we should be paying more attention to someone like him. And I, and I, I like that message in the sh- in this mm. episode. Yeah, oh, definitely. And um. Going back to what she said, you know, she said, um, Delenn says, Mimbari treat truth seekers, holy men, with the utmost respect, even if their quest is foolish, and then suggests perhaps you don't know yourself. And of course, what we know about this point in the show, if you're paying attention to what's going on, Sinclair himself is on that kind of truth, he's a truth seeker himself. You know, you've had Soul Hunter, you've had and the Sky Full of Stars, and then Signs and Portents, where he's trying to figure out what happened to him. 
at the battle line, how Delenn is involved, and you know, and and almost like there's a couple of moments in this episode where Delenn kind of questions his own kind of perception and the truth and stuff as well. And I wonder, you know, I always wonder how much Delenn knows as maybe even protecting him from the Great Council about actually what he knows about what happened to him about the line as well. So there's a kind of the whole undercurrent there, which is it's almost so so subtle. It's only when you, when you kind of watch this and really interrogating the show now as we are, that you kind of see these themes running through and maybe those are the kind of JMS lines seeded in to provide a bit more context to the mm. uh, overall story of B5. Yeah, I mean, at this point, the whole Valen thing comes about when uh, Michael O'Hare has to leave the show and he has to rework that story. But he most certainly does have a Mimbari soul because the um, in the sky full of stars, you know, the name escapes me now. The triangle thing glows, doesn't it? Because it glows because yeah, yeah, yeah the the, the triluminary because it glows because he's got a Mimbari soul in him. So. I think that that line, you know, you, you don't know yourself as well as you should do kind of things definitely um, has that as a context, I think, at, at, at this point. Can I, can I ask yeah. a question? Do you guys know? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What the original Sinclair plan was then before Michael O'Hare had to leave. Has that yes. ever come out? Yeah. So. Are you allowed to talk about that? Yeah. Yet? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm also <laughs> writing a book on B5, so I've kind of read a lot about this. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, you will know that. <laughs> well, we, we, sure. I mean, Luke and I did cover it a bit in in a previous one of the early episodes last year as well. So, essentially, the Mimbari they needed humans to kind of breed. The Mimbari were dying off, and they needed humans to breed. And eventually, Sinclair and Delenn were going to conceive kind of a holy child in David, and which was going to save the Mimbari race. Oh. So he was kind of a kind of almost wow. like a whole owner and bringing the bringing the races together. And um, it was actually their son who would become the president of the Interstellar Alliance and kind of be the true hero. So he's kind of like, he's almost like... Basically sure. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Basically. So it's kind of... I mean, there are things like, obviously, that scene with the, with the uh, ritual in uh, Pilot of Dreams as well, which kind of hint at this. So it's kind of... Uh, there is there is destiny to Sinclair. Kind of a quite a key figure. And obviously things change drastically. Mm. But um, yeah, he's quite a pivotal role in that. Very cool. Mm. Did not know yeah. any of that. Exciting! That's like a preview to your. Book. It is. <laughs> if you want, if you want an earlier preview, um, check out our episode on reboots and revivals because we talk a bit about there as well. I talk about Babylon Five there. It's some really yeah. kind of bonkers ideas as well that were floating around. But yeah, and then obviously my book when it comes out uh, at some point in the future as well. <laughs> yeah. Hello, and this is Chucky Vision on the We Made This Network, the podcast for all things Chucky. I'm Dev Elson. And I'm Mark Adams. We're two queer podcasters who love bloody horror, camp comedy, gay romance, and referencing icons like Freddy, Jason, and Britney. The Chucky films and new TV show deliver all of that, and there is still so much more to cover. So if you want to play, find Chucky Vision on Twitter, at Chucky Vision, and on all good podcast providers. And yes, the title is a chuckle vision pun. Because why not? So, obviously, the stuff of Aldous intersects with the B plot. We'll talk about more about Deuce and the fake Kosh later, but let's chat about Aldous and Jinxo then. So, they first meet in that courtroom scene with Jim Norton as Ombuds Wellington. Bishop Brennan, for those Father Ted fans out there. Oh my god, it is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. god! I didn't realise yeah. that. Yeah, he's great. I mean, Jim Norton. Jim yeah, Jim Norton's in a few episodes, isn't he? Of uh, B Five as well, in different. He characters. comes back in Quality of Mercy. 
Yeah. Just for a very different Jim Norton experience, everyone. If you go and check out the Father Ted episode, <laughs> Kicking Bishop Brennan Up the Arse. <laughs> And I, 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 you will not be disappointed. <laughs> Bonus episode next week. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I dare it's, you. Um, oh, it's almost tempted. But there's um, again, it's very un. Another thing that's very un Star Trek is the idea of the criminal courtroom scenes that recur in the show. What do you think of those, mm. Luke? Yeah, no, I like them. I like the fact that there is a justice system on Babylon Five, and you know you got Umbuds Wellington, who I mentioned comes back in Quality of Mercy. Um, yeah. I, I like your scenes. The, the the alien abduction gag when they first kind of introduce Ombuds Wellington and and the the court case doesn't really work for me. It's a bit silly. You've got John C. Flynn, who is the DOP and uh, director of episodes of Babylon Five, playing Mister Flynn. Probably a better DOP than he is an actor. Uh, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a uh, it's. They work really well, and it introduces uh, Jinxo and the fact that he can't leave the station because he believes that he is the Babylon Curse, and introduces um, William Sanderson's Juice. Uh, fans of William Sanderson may recognise him from uh, Blade Runner. He was also in a very good episode of the X Files called yes! Blood, where he plays a crazed yes! shot. He plays a crazed killer who goes around shooting people yeah. with a rifle. He's an excellent. Yeah, great actor, that. great actor. Yeah. Even though Juice is a bit of a stereotypical. Uh, thug but um but yeah. but he plays him well he's got a good presence yeah so those scenes really work and I, I yeah you know like i said i like the b5 is a working is, is is essentially a working country it needs all the infrastructure it needs the judicial system and you've got the security which is essentially the police and all those things so and then you've got the you know the, the, the criminal underworld that basically runs down below run by these syndicates and everything and and there isn't much um policing going on down there because you know Garibaldi can't get the men. He's not allowed the men to 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 do what he wants to do. So yeah, it's it it, it just grounds it. It br- brings a bit of realism into into B five and, and gives the world that infrastructure it needs. I I, I really like it actually. I think I think it adds a, a little bit extra, like Luke says there, mm. to to the the world building of the station really, and makes it feel more like a city. Mm. You know, you get the feeling with, that it, it is like a city in space where you would have courts, you would have underground, you would have slums, you would have homeless people you know crime gangs etc it's it does add to that flesh out that world you know and it, granted the, the the story here before you get to jinxo he's ridiculous yeah. with the alien yeah. I, I did like it it's very funny it's a nice little play on the you know the alien abduction obsession that was going on in in american pop culture mm. at this time you know when babylon 5 was out you know there was all kinds of like movies tv shows all about the the the, the gray aliens yeah. you know abducting people John Flynn as well. I heard, you might be getting to this, Baz, but I heard he ended up becoming a bit of a semi-de facto director of this episode because Richard Compton was sacked halfway through and then they kind of were listless for a lot of the episode and Flynn was stepping in and directing little bits of scenes, which is interesting. Yeah, there's not much actually on that. I think maybe because obviously it's probably behind the scenes stuff, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, direction is fairly solid in this episode. Um, I mean, Richard, yeah, so... um, that probably, probably, probably makes a lot of sense. I mean, John. Yeah, I mean, Richard Compton, was... I've always thought, has is, is been a bit of a by-the-numbers director. He's, mm. he's, he, he doesn't have much flair. He doesn't really have a lot of imagination when it comes to, uh, like, lighting and, and camera shots. So, yeah, he's always been a bit of a by-the-numbers one. And uh, it's only when we get to season two and three that you get people like Vehar and, and um, who is just a phenomenal director, by the way. Yeah, mm. yeah so... I. I wouldn't be surprised if Compton did get sacked or or he was kind of pushed out. Well, I, I'm surprised it was this long because he basically ruined the gathering for for JMS. Yeah. The way he he basically went against every single note that JMS wrote for the gathering, and that's why some it looks really weird, and he put everything in harsh lighting, and there's lots of stuff that kind of all the amazing makeup and set design was basically covered by bright like stark mm. lighting or really big shadows and stuff. So, but then he did like Midnight the Foreign Line, which is a great, it's a great one. So, but then if you look at some of the stuff here, you know, Infection is um, a lot. Bloody awful. A, yeah. Then you've got War Prayer, which isn't a strong <laughs> episode. Believers is good, but Believers is very much an emotional character drama and very static. So mm. you can kind of get away with that. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm more surprised actually Compton stayed as long as he did, given how much he ruined. I think by JMS probably needed him. He needed someone, um, he did not, he did, there's a lot of respect for Compton at the time, so but that's probably why he was uh, um, around for as long as he was. You always get this in early seasons of sci-fi shows like this, don't you, though, where you get directors who 
are clearly don't really fit the material mm, properly. Mm. And then they eventually find their, like you say, like Mike Vehar, you, you find these regulars yeah. then who know it and just click. Happens happens with, yeah. in all of them. So you have to get through these. And that's where you get these earlier episodes in almost all of these kind of shows where they're a, they don't feel right. There's something off. And then eventually it all clicks together, usually by the second and third seasons. And I think B5 is much the same. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's, it's much more static. Yeah, because down below in this episode is literally dark alleys with crates. That is it. That's all it is. Um, and later on in, in, in later seasons, it gets dressed up just a little bit more and, you, and, and, and they start making like makeshift houses and stuff. But here it is literally just a dark corridor with a couple of crates. So let's move on to Jinxo himself. And we already know Luke Salt's on, uh, on, on Tom Booker's performance. But Tony, what do you think of, of Jinxo and, and Booker's performance? I, I totally get where Luke's coming from. To be fair, he's he is he is a little bit squeaky. It's, it's a bit like having Keith Chegwin. <laughs> yes. you know, he's he's a bit squeaky <laughs> and a bit like oh well, you know, well, I bump around. Oh, my name's Jigsaw. Well, uh, you know, um, I, get, I get that, but I quite like him. I think I think he plays this kind of character quite well. I think they could have got with a better actor yet, because actually the character's very interesting. Mm. You know, like almost like a, a living curse. A bomb who actually was involved in the constructions of the station, of the stations, you know, considers himself cursed in that way. You know, it's quite a fun little idea for a character, really. And he's and he's got a nice arc. You know, he's got a nice arc from going from this this guy who's in with the wrong people, living in the slums, to actually taking on the mantle of the seeker. You know, that's a nice little story, really. You didn't need to see him again. You know, you don't Thank need God. to follow any of this up. Really, <laughs> it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and he is—he isn't the greatest actor in the world. But I think the character, and I think he interacts quite well with Warner. Actually, yes, Warner carries him through the scenes, of course. But they have a nice little dynamic, I think. So, I, so it's—it's it's enjoyable, if not the greatest performance in the world. <laughs> That's me being charitable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. I will agree that the idea of the character is 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 really lovely, and the arc of the character is really lovely. It's just the execution behind it is not lovely. But um, yeah. I do like this character. You know, who was who was a, a a zero gravity constructor on all all the Babylons, and you know, each time he took leave, the the the, the station would blow up. So I'm not surprised the poor guy was a bit screwed in the head and thought it was all his fault. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I just think Tom Brooker is overly earnest in his performance mm. whereas yeah. warner's kind of elders like you mentioned earlier on tony it's he's he, i mean that character could have been too earnest as well but he plays it in such a noble and very kind of um caring mm. way yeah I, I just think tom brook i don't know he, he he just plays it so so over earnestly that it makes me feel a bit sick uh, <laughs> i mean could it, is it is it though is it though that he is he is opposite warner like you're talking about one of yeah. the great yeah. british shakespearean actors of his age you know, I mean, I think anyone's going to struggle opposite him, really. So, yeah. maybe that's part yeah. of it. Well, like, next gen wrote an so episode bad. of Patrick Stewart versus David Warner. That's the level you need to go at. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I kind of like that little tiny mini arc that Jinxo has with Garibaldi as well, because Garibaldi thinks nothing of Jinxo. He just thinks he's an absolute, you know, petty criminal with with no yeah. hope and future. And at the end, when when Jinxo's in all, he's in the true seeker get up and everything, and you know, and Garibaldi kind of says, you know, good on you, mate. You know, good luck with everything in, in the future. So I, I like that little twist on it as well. Um, but that, but him turning around and going, Thomas, my real name is Thomas, just literally wants <laughs> yeah. to make me puke. It's cringe, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> cringe. It's not, it's not good. It, it all does at least, it does at least allow for the funny final scene in Ops where... They're all going. Oh right, well he's leaving, isn't he? If we're going to yeah. go on. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And then if Oliver's like, eventually, boom. <laughs> Which technically, again, the previous episode has hinted the station exploding in signs of importance. You know, they've hinted the future already. So yeah. it's uh, as, so in some ways, again, this is why I quite like this JMS viewing order to production order. You kind of you place it straight after the episode when the episode ends with, and the station's going to blow up, and then Jinxo leaves. It's almost like, yeah. what? <laughs> it makes that gag hit clever, much yeah. better with this viewing order than it would yeah. if it was a, a couple of episodes later. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And yeah, again, I also like the um, the context. The, again, bit of well building there. We you know Babylon Five's once infrastructure collapsed due to sabotage. B three just blew up. He didn't take any leave on B four, and then he, then as soon as station as he was leaving, he's obviously one of those people leaving when it wrinkles and vanishes, which is a great setup for Babylon Squared as well. Mm-hmm. So 
I do like how you get a little bit more of that kind of uh, well building, and uh, again, and that that's pretty close to the scene with Aldous telling about his past as well. So. Almost like in some ways the expositionary stuff actually works in this episode. Sometimes it can be very clunky in B five, but I think it adds a little bit of context to a character and B to the uh, B five mythos as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So, what do you think of Alice and Jinka's visit to the alien ambassadors? Obviously, you've got Delenn and Lanier, and then Veer and Londo. Tony, what do you think of those two scenes? Yeah, I I think I think they're good. Yeah, obviously, the, it's all about the contrast, isn't it? Really, it's a contrast between, you know visiting the calm relaxed mimbari and then you know the uh the who cares <laughs> centauri you know it's it's a, it's a it's a good way of it's a good way of contrasting two very different cultures actually in how they react to this idea really in that the mimbari are in to- although you know Dylan makes a good point about how the mimbari themselves are divided mm. you know in that there's the religious caste and the warrior caste and that the warrior caste wouldn't get it so she says well let's just not tell them <laughs> so like but it's you know there in, in every culture there are going to be and that's quite true to life you know in every every part of the, of, of a culture there are going to be people who understand a concept and who don't and the religious caste are obviously more in touch with the soul they're more in touch with the idea of a quest, and particularly Delenn, who is essentially on a quest of her mm. own in some ways, you know, who's going through a, a, her own sense of prophecy, is is absolutely going to be in touch with that. Whereas, you know, Londo and uh, the Centauri are essentially a a, a colonising, you know, space Roman empire, yeah. <laughs> really, who are like, you know, don't have much. They're not in touch with the soul. They're they are you know, conquering capitalists in some ways, and and Londo is that. Is that example of of the uh, you know the I know you'll have talked about Londo many times, but he's he is the ambassador dilettante wasting money and spending and you know living it up in the on the corner of the galaxy, and it, and he he's not going to be the kind of person who is who is going to be in touch with something like this at all, you know. So I think the reactions are are, are appropriate, really. It's interesting how he doesn't. There's no Jakar mm, in this no, episode, no, no. is there? So I wondered why they didn't try and get maybe maybe they they didn't see the point really. But Jakar, I mean, Jakar of a later season, I think would have absolutely yeah. embraced Gaich and what he was saying. I don't know about Jakar now, but definitely later on when he becomes I don't more know, spiritual. Cause, yeah, because so, you do get the Jakar becomes one of the Knights of the Round Table in the episode in season three with King Arthur, but mm-hmm. um, but he's a very different character mm-hmm. at that point. But in saying that, you've had. You've had episodes like By Means Necessary, which is him as a religious leader on the station already. So you've you have had some mm. spirituality to uh, Jakar already. So it would have fit. I don't know. I want to. Yeah, it's almost like it's. Almost, I mean, it almost feels like it's um, trying to be just not cost cutting, but being trying to be that more narrow focus because obviously Londo and Jakar. Um, Londo's a ranger of the Nocleen, which we'll talk about in a moment anyway. The Nocleen feeder, which is a it's from the Centauri yeah. space, so it kind of ties in. And obviously, they play the Londo and Veer gag later on with the Nocleen on the loose as well. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. Jakar's kind of doesn't really fit into that. No, yeah, I agree. What do you think, Luke? Those scenes? Yeah, I like both scenes. Uh, there's the, there's there's a particular moment when Aldous asks Delenn. You know, have have the two have the two casts ever agreed with each other? And you know, Dylan has that line. It's like, yes, and I hope it never happens in our lifetime again. It's like when they agree, it's a terrible thing. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> we know when we, we you don't even just say you know the last time they agreed. The Asmanbari War, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a nice kind of moment and a little bit more kind of information on world building. And then the Londo Veer scene, I I love it. It's 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 just so funny. Like. Veer's trying to be an efficient aide. He's trying to, you know, get things all sorted for Londo. Londo's been caught on a bad day. I mean, he just looks at he just looks at Aldous and Jinx and says, "What are they doing here?" You know, it's just like he's yeah. he's he's in a, he's, he's in a bad mood. And poor Veer, I I just feel sorry for him because he's you know he's trying to be the good aide and and, and get stuff done. And uh, and I think Londo says something like, um, "You're going to put efficiency." It's like uh, you're going to put efficiency into extension. You know, it's uh, <laughs> I, it, it's yeah, it's a great boisterous Londo scene, and uh, I quite enjoy. It. And the fact that he basically forgot about this meeting is is definitely Londo because all he's interested yeah. in the minute is gambling at the casino. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the hokey music at the end of that scene is a little bit too. I mean, they they try and up the comedy in, in this episode as well. And it's like, is you know, the hokey music at the end after he berates Veer for being too yeah. efficient. It's like it almost feels a little bit out of place. At this point, but um, I think that's where some of the episode falls down. The 
Delenn Lanier stuff with um, Aldous and Jinxo as well. That's it. The internet is two casts. I mean, I'm assuming this is the case that they hadn't really come up with the idea of the Wario cast because it's, te- it's actually technically contradictory. Well, it's either contradictory to everything that's established about the Mimbari later, there were three casts, or is it just a case of, you know, even there's even arrogance on the lens part of the religion. No, no one really views the workers' cards of any importance. So to the outside universe, they don't really talk about the workers. They only talk about what uh, religious and warrior. Yeah, that is an interesting bit there. I'm wondering whether or not they just hadn't established the fact that there are three casts. I don't know. Mm. But you think JMS would have that in his world-building notes, yeah. that there are three casts. It might have just been a script error. I don't know. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's an odd one, but there's a, there's there's quite a bit in season one, which is then kind of restructured and reworked in later seasons, um, because of the changes that they've had to make to the yeah. story and the script. So before we get to the conclusion of of their story, let's turn our attention to the Nocoline, the uh, fake Kosh and Deuce. So Tony, were you a fan of this subplot, and what do you think of the uh, fake Kosh reveal in the uh, back in the pre-tart sequence? It's it's a well, it's one of those things where. When I watched it again, and I, I remembered it, but when I watched it again, I'd forgotten about the Nacoline. And I and I was thinking, okay, how does how do they explain Kosh being some sort of murdering Hedgeman, <laughs> killer yeah. of people? How do they do this? And so, so and in the end, you know, it, it's a fairly you know bog standard hmm. reveal. I I, th- I think it was one of those things where. Maybe if you're coming at a TV show like this without much pre-existing knowledge of TV drama, you might believe that Kosh would suddenly be revealed to be working with Juice. <laughs> but when when you when you come at it with someone, and I don't, I'm not trying to say this to be big-headed, but you know, I, I I don't approach TV drama in that way. So I was there going, well, obviously this isn't going to be Kosh, is it? Or something's going to be going on because that they're not going to reveal Kosh in Grail to be this. <laughs> <Yeah>. So. <laughs> Uh, it's not going to happen. So when the feeder comes out, you know it, it's fine. It's fine. I don't think you needed Kosh at all. It just fe- it felt like a a way to get Kosh in the episode, a way to do a bit of a you know a fake reveal to try and trick the audience. It just it just feels a bit unnecessary. I th- I, I think if you if I would put money that if JMS was to which would make this episode again, he wouldn't no. do that this time. I think he'd find another way. With that, all I have to say is echo Kosh himself and go, why? <laughs> Again, sounds like Thatcher. Kosh is Thatcher. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do quite like though at the end of the episode when seeing Claire tells Kosh that basically, you know, you kind of make people a bit scared, and Kosh like good. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That that's that's worth it. Yeah. Exactly yeah. what I'm going for. Yeah. Good. I mean, it, it's it's weird. It's like it's so hokey, and yet you're kind of going. But what the hell? You know, it's not Kosh. So there's a little bit of intriguing and you know, a mystery. They're yeah. going, okay, what? Well, okay, what are they going to do with this? And it's interesting. The only time you kind of that Kosh looks like Kosh is that pre-tart bit. Maybe it's the shadows. Every time you see it, like, you, obviously it's a it's a happy shopper Kosh. Later on, you can tell it's not the real Kosh. <laughs> um, so it's a bit weird. I mean, apparently, yeah, a bit of trivia there. That, we're doing well with our supermarket. We are, yeah, yeah. We are very on trend, aren't we? We're getting we're them all in today. Yeah, yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> so um, apparently the tentacle was also used in Buffett, the same um, the same tentacle. So yeah, a bit of a kind of cross uh, sci-fi Buffett. fantasy TV. Yeah, the, the tentacle. Oh. Um, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember what episode it is. I mean, I'm a massive Buffy fan as well, but I can't remember what episode it was. It's probably a season one or two thing because it's a couple of years later, but yeah. The tentacle, wasn't that also used as Londo's um, third appendage as well? I wondered that. Yeah, I thought maybe that could be the case. I don't know. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's playing he gets around or something, tentacle. isn't he? And it, it kind of, it, the, the tentacle comes up at the table and pitches a card or something like that, yeah. if, if I remember rightly. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> it, it's a well-used tentacle. It, it also reminded me of um, Independence Day. Yes. Uh, you know the bit behind the mm. glass where it's smoking mm. and the alien thing goes like that? Like it reminded me of that, although that was after this, wasn't it? So maybe they stole. From well, it. I don't know. Yeah, again, Buffy, <laughs> Buffy, and Independence Day are about ninety six. So maybe they, um, yeah, maybe, they, yeah. maybe, maybe Grell is actually the impetus for a lot of stuff that you saw in Buffy and it's the, it's Independence the genesis Day. of the tentacle in all all across <laughs> generic uh, genre TV. That, yeah, that that would would have been a better title, the genesis of the tentacle. <laughs> actually, yeah, the whole kind of Kosh uh, suit thing is a bit naff it's like you know this this kosh 
in countersuit trundles along, obviously on some really crappy wheels, trundling around the corner with a bit of fishnet over its left shoulder just to just to let the audience know it's not really kosh. It's happy shopper kosh. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it, it, it is a bit naff. And I, I don't like the voice of the Nacoline when it's in the encounter. I'm hungry. It's just really, really naff. It's really naff. Um, and, and makes yeah. no sense when the Nacoline actually leaves the suit and it, and it has more of a kind of creature sound, this kind of like snarling mm. creature sound. So that voice makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And it is a bit naff and a bit silly. But, um, but it is the first like major CG alien that they created on Babylon 5 and apparently it took up all the memory of the computers for about two weeks just wow. to create the damn thing Luke what do you think of William Sanderson then does he, does he make a believable crime lord yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's uh-huh. good he, he he does what the page is asking him to do I think he is a bit cliche kind of mm. uh, I'm going to wear a leather coat because I'm a gangster uh, kind of thing um, but he's you know he's He's a good genre actor and he has that presence to kind of scare Jinxo, but I think even a mouse could scare Jinxo at this point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, he's good. And I like the fact that he's not scared of Garibaldi. He's not scared of station security. And that's I think that speaks to the criminal underworld that kind of runs down below. So again, it's additional world building through character mm. which I, which which I think Babylon 5 does very well. So yeah, I liked his I, I kind of liked it. It, it it is it is unsubtle, it's on the nose. Yeah. Um and the whole kind of Texan accent thing is you know, it's uh but it works and it and uh you know William Sanderson just comes in, you know, he does his job and and gets paid. Yeah, he he's another example of of somebody who is better than the material mm. he's got. 100% Definitely. And he's he's doing yeah. what he can with it because he's a proper. He is basically an eighties TV villain, isn't he? Dumped in, mm. you know, he'd be better off in something like Night Rider yeah. or, or the eighteen, yeah, or the eighteen, yeah. He's he's sort of been ported in from that really and thrown into space. <laughs> and I, I just get whenever he whenever he kept saying you've got three hundred credit, you've got three hundred cycles, yeah. you've got two hundred and forty cycles. I was like, can you give me an idea of how long <laughs> this is? Because I've no idea, mate. Like, what? That sounds quite a lot to yeah. me. Like, like <laughs> half a year, isn't it? You know, yeah. I was like, you know, just break it down. I, I would have appreciated you've got 300 cycles. That's two days, Jigsaw. You know, something like that. But yeah. he doesn't. I don't know. I, I kind of, um, I thought he's pretty terrible in this, but I think he's a better actor than this episode allows him to be. So, um, so yeah. yeah. Well, according according to the, uh, the Babylon 5 encyclopedia, a cycle is a Minbari measurement of time equivalent to the approximately 261 Earth days. So 240 cycles is a long bloody time. I, I'm assuming it's a rotational station. I think it is, yeah. It must be, but yeah. Because that would be about, what, <laughs> a thousand years? <laughs> That's fine. I'll just I'll keep spending it. <laughs> so, Tony, um, obviously we, we've got Garibaldi trying to bring down Juice then. So what do you think of Babylon 5's foray into law and order? Uh, well, it is what it is, isn't it, really? You know, it's... Uh... It's okay, you know. It's okay. It's just a shootout at the end, isn't it? It's, that's that's the whole thing. It's it is yeah. it is a bit like a a classic sort of cheesy, you know, neo western kind of plot. Really, you take down the bad guy who's in, you know, trying to control this town. You know, he's he's all that. It it's fine. It's fine. It's it's just it's all necessary stuff for the for the climax to happen. Really, it doesn't mean anything. It's not it's not great action necessarily. It's not great drama. You know, Juice is just Juice is just a disposable mm. villain needed in order to get the real core idea of give give the plot some threat. Otherwise, it would have just been Jigso and Gaich happily wandering around the station with Gaich going, "You have a lot of potential, Jigso, <laughs> a lot of potential." No, which I, I, honestly, I'd be fine with. I'd be fine with like forty minutes of those two just wandering around B five having a chat <laughs> with people, and then they sail off. Fine, yeah. you know. But you, you, I, I appreciate you need a bit of you need a bit of um, spice yeah. to the action. So it's fine. It's fine. Does does what it needs to do. Yeah, and again, it's 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 slightly hampered by the budgetary restraints of down below. You know, like I mentioned, corridors and crates, yeah. and and it's it it seems very small. And the kind of like hopping between crates is like you literally just take a step over there because it's you know it's a little bit hammy, but it works. It's fine. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's the whole thing with like you know, witnesses being taken out and stuff and it's all kind of quite hokey and very cliche though. I do like the line that Gary Wally says he wants to catch juice and he says I've got as much chance of seeing a wall on do a strip tease. I'm thinking, yeah. 
I think mean, the way this episode is going, who knows what's going to, what's, what's going to turn out? Is, is that how it's going to get resolved? Yeah. We really have. Maybe that was the first draft. Yeah. We really have probably one of the most sarcastic Garibaldis this episode. Right near the beginning, <laughs> right near the beginning when Sinclair basically says, Mr. Garibaldi would be happy to take you to your quarters. And he turns around and goes, it would be Mr. Garibaldi's pleasure. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Yeah. This. This is why he's my favourite character, because he, he'll just come out with yeah. that line and just says, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, it's great. Yeah. So what do people think of the uh, final kind of, the kind of standoff with Anocheline, with Aulus and Jinxo, and uh, how that kind of plays out then? I mean, it's essentially an extension of Aulus's character that he's willing to sacrifice himself to save Jinxo. You know, he's, he's willing to, it's that moment where his life finds meaning and his meaning was to basically sacrifice himself to save another person uh, and, and and be the good man and be the uh, kind and compassionate man um, and then that kind of handing over of the torch mm. uh, was nicely done and Sinclair's there to kind of witness it I kind of like that scene it was it was uh, it, it was quite nice and uh, and uh, poor Tom Brooker trying to cry as Jinxo not doing a very good job of it um, I've been so I mean Maybe- I Maybe David Warner should have just given him like acting lessons before yeah, they yeah. shot, like had a couple of days with him, you know, and did uh, act a bit like a bit like the TV show Extras, where Ian McKellen tries to explain acting to face. Uh, <laughs> 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 just a bit like that. Now you get a script and you you learn the lines and all that kind of thing. You should have done yeah. that. But I do like uh, the writer's cruel joke of making the ship that is taking Aldous's body and Jinxo home called the Mary Celeste. <laughs> I completely missed that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Mary yeah. Celeste. There's also there's also a, a transport ship called the Von Braun. There is, yes, um, at the beginning. Which is named after the Nazi rocket scientist who worked on the V two weapons yeah. <laughs> after the war. So I don't quite know why that's thrown in there, but like uh, Well he also worked on yeah, the Apollo Moon Project, so maybe maybe that's probably what they're going for rather yeah. than the uh, German Nazi angle. Yeah, may, may, well, yeah maybe. <laughs> maybe it's also a, a, a wink to Jinxo, yeah. you know, being a scientist and that kind of thing on the on the project. Yeah. It could be that. But it's a strange one to have. There's surely all the, all the people who you could have put in there, but there you go. Yeah, definitely. So obviously we've got the story ends with Jinxo taking up Alice's quest to the Holy Grail because it's an episode that has kids gone forever and has multiple end scenes as well. I think it took me. It's like, you've got that scene... Brilliant final performance from Warner there. You know, I see Thomas the Grail and he hands over the you know the the legacy and it's, it's great. And then and then you've got um, a comedy scene with Vera Londo and then a Vonovers Boom Tomorrow speech. Um, so what do you think of the, those multiple endings, Tony? It's fun. I suppose it's it's quite strange in a way because I half I half thought I'd remembered it being that the final moment was Jinxo saying my name is Thomas mm. and they're walking onto the ship. But then I, I forgot they had those couple of little comic scenes afterwards, but that that's the freedom that B5. I think that's one of the reasons B5 is so mm. nice as a show, because it does have points where it has the freedom to just end with a couple of comedy scenes, you know, yeah. in certain episodes. And it's not afraid to do that. You know, it knows it has good enough characters and good enough actors to pull that off. So that whole scene with Lon, with the Garibaldi going, it's about if you hear nothing, Worry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's so funny and I, I love those scenes where he just pranks people like Londo and Via. Yeah, and there's more than this just episode obviously that happens a few times but that's just great and yeah, the, the scene in Ops is fun it's, it's, it's really good it's the kind of stuff that I think makes B5 what it is and, and I think without those kind of scenes it's a, it's the sort of thing that you didn't get as much of on something like Deep Space Nine around the same time. And while that's a great show in a different way, I think this kind of almost cheesy comedy is why B5 mm. is so special, I would say. It's the return of the king of Babylon 5 with its multiple endings. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I always wrote that note. <laughs> God, anyone would think you two would be yeah. Lord of the Rings fans or something. <laughs> Check out One Rules of War, Lord of the Rings podcast, and we made this. Yeah. <laughs> Hey! There you go. Let's uh, off the bingo yeah. card. Well done. I love um, just again. Crawley Christians delivery. She doesn't get much doing this episode, but she gets no boom today, boom tomorrow. There's always boom tomorrow, and yeah, what a brilliant way to end, end the episode yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. So, any kind of final thoughts on Grail then before we wrap up? I think I think we've covered it quite well, haven't we? I can't, I can't think of anything we haven't talked about yeah. really. To be honest, it's, uh, I mean, my kind of final thought would be: it go and read. JMS's notes on this episode on the Lurker's Guide to Babylon Fire because if you read between the lines I don't think this was a favourite of his 
And he certainly didn't like that comedy music that you talked about earlier mm. on, Baz. Uh, there's a comment there which, in no, which in 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 no uncertain terms, basically says he didn't like it at all. Yeah, I'd, I'd say there, there were worse episodes. You know, I'd say Infection, um, War Prayer, um, Survivors. The the ones we've covered already. They're probably I, I dislike more, mm. but it's probably the hokiest episode of B five we've seen at this point. Certainly, possibly the cost of the whole show. Yeah, Infection was was just was just bad. Yeah, this is it. There've been some that are yeah are quite poorly made or quite yeah. boring or quite dull at points. Whereas I don't I don't I think yes it's it really is hokey. It's silly and it's cheesy, but I don't think you could call no, Grail no, dull. No, you know, no and way. I think that's that's why. And it has enough. It has enough fun performances and nice. I think it's just a nice episode. Yeah. You know, and I, I, th- I think I, I, I think that's why. And it, like I said at the start, there is a bit of nostalgia for me, but I think that is why I like it. So I, th- I think of of all things, it's not one of the best of the season, but. It, it's not one I'd suggest people skip. Let's put it that way. I think it, it could be easily skippable. You know, it's not going to affect the grand scheme mm. of the whole show, but you'll miss a really good David yeah, Warner performance. Absolutely. You know, more than anything else. Brilliant. So that kind of comes to the end of our discussion on Grail. So, Tony, um, do you want to plug where people can find you online and what you're doing? Oh, blimey. Have you got another hour? Key <laughs> um, <well>, highlights. <laughs> let me, let, uh, uh, well, I, well I've, I've, sh- I've shrunk this down mightily now to just one link. So you can find links to everything else I'm doing because I do a lot of podcasts, do a lot of writing, books, articles, etc. You know, all kinds of stuff. But the best place to find them is on if you go to Linktree, that's linktr.ee forward slash AJ Black Writer, you'll find links to everything I'm doing and keep it on mainly on Twitter uh, as well, at AJ Black Writer. But if you go to that, those links, which I'm sure will be in the show notes, then you can find more about what I'm doing and catch me over there yeah and anything for you, for you Luke I'll keep it short as well if you go to lukewitch.com you can find my um, sci-fi and fantasy book reviews you can also find feeds to the podcast I'm on and also a link to my new booktube channel which is Luke's Book Nook which has uh, started early March and will be carrying on through the year and you can find me on Twitter at Baz Green and where I publish of the podcasts I do and uh, the books I'm writing as well probably the main thing to plug at the moment this is going out in September we're recording quite early but this is going out in September so at this time we should have The Rings of Power season 2 so Luke and I and our third co-host Sam are discussing season 2 of The Rings of Power so check that out as well so thanks, Tony, for coming on this episode of, the, of A Dream Inform. And, um, of course, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Dream Inform, Instagram at Dream Inform Pod, and even Mastodon at Dream Inform at toot.community. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for this episode. And remember, we are part of the We Made This podcast network. Please subscribe to A Dream Inform and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps connect with new listeners and share our love for Babylon 5. Luke and I will be back in a fortnight to continue our season one journey with eyes. So join us again for a dream given form, our last best hope for peace. Peace.